Let's pray together. Father, we think about uh, John the Baptist saying, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. And Father, we want that for ourselves. And as we come to your word, I pray that your word would find a warm reception in our hearts that we might see our lives conformed more to your word and that truly in us, Jesus would increase and we, ourselves would decrease. Make that so. Help us to receive your word gladly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those of us who drive probably remember quite an adventure in learning how to drive. And those of us kids, uh, man, you don't drive yet. You're probably looking forward to the day when you can. You're in for quite an adventure, quite an experience. There is a lot to learn. There's a whole lot to pay attention to, a lot of things happening at the same time. I remember when I learned to drive, I learned to drive on a 1966 VW Beetle. Looked a lot like that one, except a little less shiny because three of my sisters had it before I did. And uh, it was an underpowered engine, four on the floor, fun little vehicle, but a lot to learn. And so I had to learn uh, how to pay attention to things while I was shifting, use my right hand on the shift knob, my left hand on the turn signal, hands on the steering wheel, there's a clutch down there somewhere and a gas pedal and somewhere in between them a brake. And uh, I had to learn how to use each one at the appropriate time without necessarily looking at them. If that wasn't hard enough for my 16-year-old brain to master, imagine me going down a hill, anticipating making a turn at the bottom of the hill and going up another hill. So involved in that would be uh, slowing down, putting on my signal, down shifting, taking my foot off the gas, and, and then uh, going uh, back up the hill, having to accelerate in a new gear and uh, resume uh, my, my uh, uh, direction at that point. A lot to keep in mind. There is a temptation in all of that to focus on what's going on inside the car to the exclusion of what's going on outside the car. That's a dangerous thing. You don't want to be looking at the clutch pedal or the gear shift or the speedometer and the blinker uh, when you need to be paying attention to things going on outside the car because after all, there are other vehicles and pedestrians out there you need to pay attention to. But over time, what happens? Over time, it, it all becomes a part of you. You lose the self-consciousness of method and you can focus instead on getting to your destination. As we grow in our Christian faith, there's quite a number of things that we need to pay attention to. Some of them come easy, others not so much. Worship is one of the ones that comes fairly easy. We enjoy getting together, singing praise to God, hearing his word, uh, joining together with other believers in worship. That one comes pretty easy. Fellowship 
comes fairly easy as well. We enjoy hanging out with like-minded brothers and sisters, encouraging each other in our walk with the Lord. Learning situations like conferences and seminars come pretty easy too. They're kind of a treat. We can get out of town, stay in a motel, get a nice meal somewhere, and then just take in profound teaching and uh, just absorb great thoughts. Uh, Other parts of growing in the Christian faith don't come quite so easy. Have you ever noticed that sometimes spending time in the Word doesn't come easy? Sometimes spending time in prayer doesn't come easy. Sometimes family worship doesn't come easy. These things require a bit of effort. They're rewarding, but we need to commit to doing them. We may not naturally be inclined to do them just by virtue of our personality. We may be uh, not so much readers as, as preferring other things to do. Add to that that we have an enemy who wants to keep us from those things. And so all of that adds up to our needing to commit ourselves to doing them. They're spiritual disciplines. We know they're important. They help us grow as believers, but we need to practice them. They're a bit like driving a car. We need to focus not on what we're doing so much as where we're going. And over time, these disciplines will become part of us. In the realm of our Christian experience, we operate on three levels, and Jesus actually talks about all three of those levels in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the first one a couple of weeks ago, what we do with others, and where Jesus talks about giving to the poor in verses two through four. The the second level is what we do with God, and Jesus talked about that uh, in verses five through 15, where he speaks about prayer, and we looked at that one last week. Today, uh, we look at what we do with ourselves, and Jesus speaks to the issue of fasting in verses 16 to 18. And Jesus assumes that our Christian walk will be characterized by all three, by giving, by praying, and by fasting. He says of all of them, when you do these things, when you do this, he assumes that we will be giving, that we will be praying, that we will be fasting. And so then he gives us instructions for when we do. So we have no more reason to overlook fasting than we have reason to overlook giving or praying. So what's fasting all about? We don't hear much about it these days. I'd like to just give you a little overview of where we're going. Um, First, we'll talk about what fasting is, and then we'll talk about how it's done. We'll have a few practical tips, and then I want to just talk briefly about the goal of it all. So let's take a look at the text again. Jesus says, starting in verse 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face 
that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting, what it is. Uh, Most basically, fasting is going without food for a particular period of time. That's where we get our word breakfast. We break the fast of the night before, roughly 12 hours without having eaten. And so at breakfast, we break that fast. So fasting is going without food for a period of time, but a lot of people go without food for a period of time. I have a friend who just returned from South Sudan. He was among people who have been going without food, but not by their choice. Uh, They're experiencing famine, they're experiencing shortage, and we're trying to help, but they're not fasting, they are starving. There's a difference between the two. So we can refine our definition by saying that fasting is voluntarily going without food for a period of time. But people do that for a lot of different reasons as well. Sometimes it's called a diet. Sometimes it's called a hunger strike. Those things are different from fasting. So I would define fasting as voluntarily going without food for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. A spiritual purpose. What sort of spiritual purposes might fasting accomplish? Well, one spiritual purpose that fasting can accomplish actually has a very physical basis for it. It has to do with what happens to our body when we fast. Uh, When we fast, uh, especially when we have a longer fast, the body gets purified. It, It is not focusing on digesting food, and it can more effectively remove toxins from our system. And we find ourselves thinking more clearly It's a wonderful spiritual benefit that has a strong physical basis. If you've been in a longer fast, you've probably experienced that yourself. And that is good, but it's not to be our primary purpose in a fast. Another spiritual purpose is that in a fast, we can gain insight into the things that control us. When we're without food for a while, those things come to mind. Uh, The first one is food itself. Sometimes food controls us. It's good for us to take a break from it and say, food, you will not control me. But other things show up in a fast as well. Pride can show up in a fast. Anger, bitterness, fear, jealousy, strife, a life out of order. These things come bubbling up in the midst of a fast because we're without food and we're a little bit uncomfortable, maybe a little bit on edge. It takes less to set us off, and we see then what those things are. God can use the fast to show us some things he wants us to get a handle on. Another thing that a fast can do is it can give us a sense of solidarity with people who are suffering. In a fast, we experience just a taste, just a little bit of suffering ourselves, and and we can begin to think of others who are suffering also. It can give us opportunity then to help people who are suffering, people who don't have the things that we have. 
What if you fasted once a week and gave the money you saved on food to a ministry that helps people in need? That would be an effective spiritual goal in a fast. I believe the greatest spiritual purpose, though, that fasting can help us to achieve is to deepen our communion with God. I believe that's got to be the primary thing that we are after in a fast, to deepen our communion with God. I think in a fast, we experience a greater sense of dependence on him. In a fast, we confess our sin. We experience personal cleansing. In a fast, we can have deep and effective intercession for other people. And in a fast, we can seek God's will in a special way for our own lives. All of that uh, comes through a deeper communion with God that we can experience in a fast. So those are some aspects of what a fast is. Let's talk a little bit about how it's done. Jesus tells us in this section of Matthew 6 that we're not to approach fasting like the hypocrites do. How do the hypocrites do it? They do it for show. They do it pretending to be something that they're not. They do it for the approval of others. And Jesus tells us in these verses how they go about that. They go about that, first of all, he says, by looking gloomy. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Looking gloomy is putting on a sad face, a face that says, poor me, poor me. Go ahead and, and look at the person next to you and give them a sad face. Go ahead. I'm, I'm seeing some good sad faces around here. Okay. You know, kind of the poor me look, looking gloomy. Uh, the other thing he says they do is uh, they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. This idea of disfiguring your face is literally making your face unrecognizable. That might involve not shaving or not, uh, not washing your face, not combing your hair, not washing your hair, uh, maybe putting ashes on your head to show your deep contrition. It's what would cause someone to say, Ken, is that you? Uh, is something wrong? And I could respond by saying, well, I'm, I'm just fasting. Aren't you impressed? Looking gloomy and disfiguring our faces. One version, uh, one translation says it well. They try to look miserable and disheveled. That's a good summary. Now, why would they do that? Verse 16 tells us to be seen by others. They want people to notice. They want people to admire them. The Pharisees loved to be seen and admired. The Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays. What a coincidence Mondays and Thursdays were market days when there would be more people around to see them, to notice them, to admire them. The uh, early church kind of liked that idea of fasting twice a week, but said instead of uh, Mondays and Thursdays, let's make it Wednesdays and Fridays. That's a good move. So Jesus teaches in verse 17 what we do when we fast. He says, uh, 
When you fast, and by the way, that's the second time he said that in this brief section, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. He's talking about normal hygiene that you do every day. Wash your face and comb your hair, we might say. Try to look normal when you're fasting. The idea is that nobody notices when you're fasting. Jesus is forbidding here uh, any sign that a fast is underway. We may try to go to the opposite extreme of the Pharisees and try to look extra special, clean, and spiffy when we're fasting. And then people might say, gee, you're looking extra sharp today. Is there something going on? And we can say, well, yeah, I'm fasting. You know, we can try to be impressive again. Our motives are so mixed, even at their very best. And what Jesus is saying here is, just try to look normal. Try to have it so that nobody notices. Keep it to yourself, just like you're giving and you're praying. You're not doing it for show. And the best way to avoid doing these things for the wrong reason is to do them in secret. And Jesus says, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's talk about some practical tips for fasting. First, I think it's helpful to learn to walk before we try to run. Uh, we need to start simple and start slow. If you haven't tried fasting before, or if it's been a long time since you've tried it, I would suggest you begin light. Begin with a partial fast that goes 24 hours. When I say a partial fast, uh, what I'm suggesting is you abstain from food, but take some fruit juices to kind of ward off that hungry, hungry feeling and, and the headache that sometimes accompanies it. It's a partial fast. And do it for 24 hours, supper time to supper time. So you eat supper one day, you skip breakfast and lunch the next, and you resume 24 hours after you started with supper once again. A partial fast of 24 hours is a great way to start. It's very manageable. And I would suggest don't eat a big meal before you start, as, as that last supper before you start it, just it, to make up for all of the food you're going to miss in the next 24 hours. And that will only stretch your stomach and make you hungrier during the fast. And uh, you'll likely notice some physical aspects of the fast, but try to keep the focus on God and on prayer and on worship. And then... Uh, end the fast with a light meal. Uh, maybe you just rejoin your family for supper and have a smaller portion. Or maybe you just have uh, fruit and vegetables instead of uh, that next supper meal. Uh, begin back uh, slowly. What do you do with that breakfast time and that lunch time that you missed? Use that time to commune with God. Use that time. Set that, side, that time aside for prayer uh, for uh, looking at his word, for communing with him in prayer. Now, after trying that partial fast of 24 hours two or three times, you'll be ready to try uh, a regular fast of 24 hours where you eat no food and drink only water. 
One person that I read about committed to doing that for two years, once a week for two years. Let me share some of his journal entries here from that time. And notice, if you will, the progression of his experience. First journal entry says this, I felt it a great accomplishment to go a whole day without food. Congratulated myself on the fact that I found it so easy. Next entry says, began to see that the above was hardly the goal of fasting. Was helped in this by beginning to feel real hunger. Next entry says, began to relate the food fast to other areas of my life where I was more compulsive. I did not have to have a seat on the bus to be contented or to be cool in the summer and warm when it was cold. Next entry, reflected more on Christ's suffering and the suffering of those who are hungry and have hungry babies. Next entry, Six months after beginning the fast discipline, I began to see why a two-year period had been suggested. The experience changes along the way. Hunger of fast days became acute, and the temptation to eat stronger. For the first time, I was using the day to find God's will for my life began to think about what it meant to surrender one's life. One more entry. I now know that prayer and fasting must be intricately bound together. There is no other way, and yet that way is not yet combined in me. Did you notice the person's insights into what fasting could do for him were deepening through his experience? Like other disciplines, the benefits of fasting become more noticeable the longer we do it. You may try after that one day, 24-hour regular fast, something a little longer. You, you may want to try a three-day fast. You may want to try a week. A friend of mine went 40 days. But three to seven days are usually enough to have a real impact on the course of our life. Let me encourage you, if you go beyond a one-day fast, to prepare well for it. I would recommend reading up on fasting before you attempt a lengthy fast. A couple of resources I have found helpful. One is Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. It is a good introduction to 12 spiritual disciplines, disciplines we hear very little of in our present day, and so it is a book that focuses a lot on the how-tos. Another book that I found really helpful is John Piper's book, A Hunger for God. It's less about how to do it and more about why we do it. I also encourage you, don't overlook any medical considerations if you're going on a longer fast. Consult your doctor or a PA if you're planning on something a little longer. What is the goal of it all? I think Jesus gives us that goal in verse 18. He says that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The goal is to be rewarded by the Father. That's what we want to experience. We want to know his smile. We want to hear his well done. We aren't doing it for the sake of others or even for our own sake. When we fast for our own benefit, whether it's the the very real physical benefits we can experience from fasting or the admiration of others who see us doing it, Jesus says we've been paid in full. Our aim should be greater than that. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, a physical thing that we can do to achieve a spiritual purpose that we can't directly produce. And when our focus is right, God uses disciplines like fasting to produce something in us that goes beyond what we can directly control. And that something is Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness comes as a product of living a life doing what Jesus did. Jesus assumed we'd be fasting. Twice in this brief section, he says, and when you fast, I think it's becoming something of a lost discipline in our day. But it can be a really helpful one, and I hope you will be open to trying it if you're not already doing it. I've tried to give you some pointers to help us do it well, because there are a few things we need to keep straight in our minds if we're going to do it. Kind of like learning to drive a car. It's dangerous to be looking at the clutch pedal when you're driving in traffic. There's some things you need to internalize and to just make automatic. Fasting is a spiritual discipline like giving and praying. The other topics Jesus covered already in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. These are some external things that we will be practicing as we live out our faith as we work out our salvation. And um, when we do that, uh, we need to be careful not to look so much at the things we're doing, but our focus needs to be on Christ. When our eyes are on him, we lose sight of the other things around us as we're drawn more and more to him. We stop looking at the clutch pedal and gear shift, start focusing on our destination. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope you'll be able to make use of those in the coming week as we seek to apply God's word to our lives. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, we thank you for how your word speaks very practically to us. And I pray, Father, that we would be desiring to grow in Christ-likeness and willing to discipline ourselves to do the things that can help us grow to be more like Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen.